If you've got your Bible, let me ask you to either turn it on or to open it and go to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. We've got one verse in Ephesians chapter 4 we're going to look at, and then we're going to look at a couple of other verses in chapter 5. And the whole thing we're looking at is being like our dad. And and I I want you to think through a couple of things with me. Um, I like eating bananas, but I do not like banana-flavored things. You ever had imitation banana flavoring? It's gross. It tastes nothing like an actual banana. I I would venture to say that if I were to peel a banana that tasted like that, I would throw it away immediately. But some imitations are actually pretty good. Most of you, if you've been in the kitchen for very long and you're going to go bake something, you use vanilla extract. Or if you want to save money, you use imitation vanilla extract. Because you can go to the store and you can pay about $4 and get pure vanilla extract in a little bottle that's about that big that you might be able to make a cookie and a half using. Or you can pay 99 cents, 98 cents if you're at Walmart and get this big thing, uh, it's not that big, but this big thing of imitation vanilla and you're set for months. And you really, unless you are a connoisseur, can't tell a huge difference between the imitation and the real. What Paul's going to show us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, through chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, is how we must be imitations, but not of one another, of our Father, who is God himself. And I find no better passage for us to reflect on this morning and to investigate and to dive into on Father's Day than one that tells us how we should imitate our Father. So if you've got your place in Scripture and you're able, I'd like to invite you to stand with me as we read the Word of God together looking at Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 through chapter 5 verse 2 and it says this be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving one another just as God also has forgiven you in Christ therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children And walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Let's pray together. Almighty God, the Holy Father, the creator, the sustainer, the majesty on high who saw fit to adopt us as his children, we come to you. We celebrate fathers for you are our true father. We celebrate what it means to be a father because our heavenly father has loved us with an unstoppable, never-ending, unearnable, unbuyable love from now, from the beginning of time till time is no more. Help us to be like you. Help us to follow you. Show us your way, God, and we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. I am convinced that the entire life that you and I are to live in Christ is summed up in these three verses. I'm convinced that we would gain a larger audience of favorable ears to our message of hope and peace if you and I would embody what these verses teach us as we look to what it means 
to walk in the victory that Christ has given us. Now, por mis amigos, mis hermanas, hermanos uh, en Jesucristo, lo siento para no translación en español uh, para uh, el día. Pero, I will try. <laughs> Can only do so much. What I just told them is, I'm sorry I don't have the Spanish translation, but I'm going to try. I've got some notes written down so you can tell me later if they're wrong, okay? Um, so, so, so what we have in this passage of Scripture is, is, is an idea of what we are to embody as followers of Christ. And Paul brings us in here and tells us to start that we're to be kind and compassionate, that we are to love one another, that we're to be forgiving one another the same way that God has forgiven us in Christ. And then he ends the passage by saying, that he gave himself up, Christ gave himself up as a fragrant offering. In order for you and me to identify ourselves as imitators of Christ, we have to understand that imitation requires sacrifice. La imitación requiere sacrificio. There is sacrifice that is required by our identity in him, but it's not necessarily our sacrifice to start. You and I would not have the ability to imitate God had it not been for what Christ Jesus did for us. Now, some of you that know a whole lot about more about baking and cooking and all these great things than I do, know that there's a sacrifice of taste to use an imitation flavor versus the real flavor. And when we identify ourselves as followers of Christ in order to imitate God, we've got to be willing to self-sacrifice on some key areas. Look at what he says in verse 432. He says, be kind and compassionate. There's a big mind blower for a lot of us. The kindness and the compassionate heart with which God has dealt with us according to his love, his desire, his decision, his predetermined plan to adopt us as his children. All the parents in the room know how much restraint you have to hold at some points in order to not knock your child's head off when they do something that is ridiculously embarrassing or disrespectful or, or just coming to grips with your child's sinfulness. Your kid's gonna do something, you're like, ah, there are witnesses. There are witnesses, I, I gotta stop. You know the restraint that it takes. And God looks at us with this compassion that doesn't deal with us according to our sin. See, if he was going to deal with us according to our sin, none of us would be here right now, right? None of us would have made it to our first birthday if he was going to deal with us according to our sin. But he tells us in Psalm chapter 103 that as high as above the heavens are above the earth and as far as the east is from the west, he's removed his sin from us. Why? Because he does not deal with us according to our trans. Aggressions. That's compassion. And it's not just that God said, yeah, I'm going to overlook that. It's not that God said, oh, you're actually an asset to my team and I couldn't do this whole God of the universe thing if I didn't have you. So I'm going to let that one slide. It's that he looked upon his son, Jesus Christ, who laid his life down for our sins that God can say with the compassion of a father, I can look at you as my own child. That's a huge sacrifice. 
That's a, that's a pretty major sacrifice. If we're going to imitate, it required the sacrifice of Christ and the sacrifice of self. Did, did you know that one of the most difficult things, and I would say probably the most impossible thing to do, is to be yourself as you are and be in God's will? To, to live life according to your plan and to his? To see things the way you want to see them, to, to interpret things the way you want to interpret them, to respond to things the way that you want to respond to them, to allow your emotions to trump everything else that goes on in the world and be a follower of God? They are two mutually exclusive claims. You can either be you or you can be his. You can either have your life or his life. You, you can either walk in the way of the world or walk in the way of God. The way of the world says, do it the way you want to do it. But Paul says, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. Now, now here's the thing. Growing up, we used to, we used to say like, when you're in elementary school, middle school, and somebody's being a copycat or whatever, and your brothers and sisters would do this, they'll copy each other just to grate on one another's nerves. And, and then you turn into a 35-year-old man and you still copy people just to grate on their nerves. I, I, I don't know anybody that does that, but some people do that at 35. Um, and, and what happens is when, when you're dealing with kids that are doing this, you always tell them, well, imitation is the highest form of flattery, Right? They're just imitating you because they want to be like you. Man, I can remember. Man, I was fifth grade and I discovered this guy named Ken Griffey Jr. And he was, man, he was the greatest baseball player in the world to me in fifth grade. And so I did everything I could to stand up. All right, I'm going to figure out how he swings. So he'd stand straight. He'd have, he was left-handed. He batted this way. I'm right-handed. So I had to do it the opposite way. He would have back foot square with the back line. He'd have front foot toe in just slightly and he'd stand straight. He had his elbow almost even with his shoulder and he would sway. You know, some, some guys wiggle the bat. He didn't wiggle the bat, he just swayed. And then when he would step, he would turn his toe out and he'd come around and he would have at this nice little, man, I don't know, 80 degree angle, I don't know angles, around here and he would drive the ball. See, I know that because I spent time trying to perfect Ken Griffey Jr.'s swing. The problem is I'm not Ken Griffey Jr. I wish I could hit a ball like Ken Griffey Jr. I wish I could cover the outfield like Ken Griffey Jr. However, like Ken Griffey Jr., I'm prone to injury. Like Ken Griffey Jr., my body failed what I wanted it to do. But here's the thing that you and I have got to see when it comes to our relationship with God is that imitation is more than mere flattery. It, it is more than just the adulation that is required of us trying to flatter someone with our mimic and how we puppet ourselves. And so Paul is going to drive us a little bit deeper into what it means to mimic God, to imitate God, because it's not just, oh yeah, I'm going to be like God and try to carry this flattering speech that is external only. Imitating God is an act of the heart. It's an act of the will. It's an act of the inner being. And it shows us how our father truly behaves. Look at what he says. Be kind and compassionate to 
one another. Forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. We cannot have hard hearts. No podemos tener corazones duros. Duros. We cannot have hard hearts. That's why he says, be kind and compassionate and then ties it to the forgiveness that is required. Look at, look at, look at the extent. Forgiving us how? In the same manner, just as, exactly to the same degree that God forgave us in Christ Jesus. The reason most of us are not growing in our relationship with God is because we've hardened our heart to someone that bears God's image and we are unwilling to forgive them the way that God has forgiven us. Kind of reminds us of what Jesus told us in the, in, in the Sermon on the Mount. You see these people? You've got to forgive them if you want to be forgiven. Remember, forgive us our trespasses even as we, or just as we, exactly to the degree that we have forgiven someone else. I get it. Somebody makes you mad. Somebody rubs you the wrong way. Somebody offends you. You want them to feel the wrath of the pain that they've caused, right? Oh, I get it, man. Somebody cuts you off in traffic and you want to ride their bumper and you want to get up beside them and make them see the angry face of wrath. And you're like, wait, but they, they might have a gun. So I'm not going to do that. But you want to, you don't even know them. Somebody at work, somebody in your family, they, they talk bad about your mama. They talk bad about the way you cut your hair. They talk bad about this. They've offended you. They've broken a business contract. They have done something that has offended you and you carry it so heavily in your heart that it becomes hardened. Most of you have, say most of you, some of you have a wall in your marriage that has been built by hardness because there was some small offense that you tried to sweep under the rug, but you've never forgiven. See, see, forgiveness has two components. It has transaction and it has action. The transactive forgiveness says, okay, yeah, I'm, you're, you're forgiven. But the action of forgiveness is to actually mend what was broken. Actually, man, think about a suture and a surgery. Somebody goes in and they cut your leg because they've got to remove something that's growing in your leg. And the doctor goes in and he cuts it wide open. There's this massive gash from the incision and he removes and he says, okay, that's going to heal in a few days. But he never takes the action of sewing it back up. When he doesn't sew it back up, he is inviting infection to settle in the wound because the action of reconciling, of forgiving has not taken place. And God said, I see your sin and you might have hurt someone else, but ultimately you've sinned against me. And so not only am I going to say, you're forgiven through my son, I'm going to come to you because of my son and I'm going to pull you back in. That is how he has forgiven us in Christ. Not to just say it, but to take action on it and pull us. How much different would your relationships in your own home, much less your neighborhood, much less your church, much less this city, much less the nation, how much better would those relationships work if our hearts 
were free from all of the bitterness and the malice and the angst and the anger and the hurt and the wrath that we embody because we haven't forgiven just as God forgave us. And you think, well, but you don't know what they did. No, but God knows, God knows what you did and he still forgave you. But you don't know how bad they hurt me. It probably didn't hurt any more than nails through the wrists and the feet. It probably didn't hurt any more than watching your own son being crushed under the weight and the wrath of sin before an almighty, eternal, and holy God. And he said, I'm still going to forgive you. I'm still going to forgive you. We sing and, 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 we, and we proclaim and we rejoice and we talk about all of these great things of God and the Bible and scripture, but we don't live in peace, in unity with one another because we've allowed the hardness of heart to settle in. Now, I just want to ask just, just, just a question. Where would you be if God hardened his heart against your sin? the way you have hardened your heart against another person's sin. Where, where would you be? I, I shudder to think of, of what my life would look like without God's grace and mercy, without the blood of Christ being able to cover over my arrogance, my pride, my lust, my lying tongue, my, the deceit, just, just everything that that. that rages within my members and, and I have the audacity to hold something over someone's head that didn't require really anything of me we can't have hard hearts we're, we're to imitate God who is compassionate and kind and covered our sin by the blood of Christ but no longer no, not only that he goes on and he says we cannot have partial commitments notice what he says be imitators of God verse 5 as dearly loved children now I want you to catch this dearly loved children if you've professed faith in Christ I want you to just say out loud with me right now after I say it, we're gonna say it again together I am a child of God. If you have professed faith in Christ, if you've been saved, you've been born again, you've invited Jesus into your heart, whatever the thousand ways that we say that we've been saved, that we've come to Christ, I want you to say that with me. I am a child of God. We, we are told in scripture, we're told in Ephesians chapter one that through Christ, we have been adopted. And Paul is drawing us back in. Remember, this is all in, in light of the victory of Christ. Psalm chapter 68, verse 18. It's over in chapter four, verse eight, just a little bit above your page or on the page before. If you're on a tablet or something, just keep scrolling up, you'll get to it. And it says that when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive and he gave gifts. What the gifts? The spiritual blessing. God determined that he was gonna bless us in the heavenly place with every spiritual blessing because he was adopting us as his children. Now, all of this can easily be missed if we're not looking at ourselves as those adopted children. Because what God has done for us, Paul says here, is to bring us to him as dearly loved children. This was not a partial commitment on God's part. 
He didn't just say, well, yeah, I mean, you, you, you're kind of popular. You've got some friends, so I'll just kind of let you hang on a little bit. See, every now and again, we get together with extended family. And, and, and I, I love extended family, but you know, there's just only so much that you can take of extended family after a while. No matter how much you love them, you know, especially when you've got brothers and sisters and everybody involved and they parent just a little bit different than you do and they let their kids, it just, it just gets to the point where you're like, okay, I'm ready to go back to my house and do my thing, right? Not that I'm right and they're wrong, it's just, it's just the way it is, right? We know, we know how it goes. But see, here's one of the cool things about extended family. I can love on my nieces and nephews, whether on my side of the family or on Christie's side of the family. I can love on them, but I'm not responsible for footing the bill for them. I don't got to buy their food. I don't got to pay. I don't got to pay for them to go to sports camp. I don't, I don't got to pay their doctor bills. Man, that's great. I can love on them. We can have fun. We can get on the beach and throw a tennis ball and, and have fun, but I don't have to pay for them. That's a partial commitment. I can love them without having to have the same, uh, the same uh, commitment that I have to my own children. Now, now, here's the thing. If I were to leave my own kids behind at the beach, the way I leave extended family behind at the beach, I would be in trouble. You would be seeing me in the newspaper for not good reasons. I don't want that. But see, God looked at us and said, you're no longer a child of the world. You are no longer an orphan. You are now my child. That means that I'm responsible for you. That means I step in as your intercessor. That means that I am your daddy. That means that I am responsible for who you are and who you become. And you got to live under that guideline. That's not a partial commitment. In other words, what I'm trying to tell you is we can't be partially committed to following God where it looks good on Sunday, but has no bearing for who we are the rest of the time. You're either his child or you're not. You're either in or you're out. You're either committed or you're not. And Paul says here in this passage of scripture, therefore, because of what he's done, because he has forgiven you of every debt you've ever owed to him, the most holy and righteous God, imitate him. Because he loves you as your child. Because he loves you as your child. I tell you, one of the greatest things about being a dad of boys is, is when, they, when they act like they want to be me. Now, I know what that means, and I know that there are a lot of things that they need to not be that are about me, but when they want to dress like dad. One of my favorite bands from high school is a, is a Christian punk rock band. Yes, that does exist. It's called MXPX. And, and I love, man, just in recent days, I've gotten back in to listen to a little MXPX and everything. And Braden's like, is this MXPX? And he gets all excited and he's, yeah, he's going at it. And, and I told Christy just about two weeks ago, I said, you know, I am so glad that Braden's learning to love MXPX. She says, it's not that. It's because he wants to be like you. It's because he wants to be like his daddy. It's a commitment that you and I have to make to being like our father. If we're gonna imitate God, if we're gonna go through this whole sacrifice, if we are going to, if we're going to see that it's not just a flattering word, it cannot be a partial commitment. I heard one, one pastor one time say it this way. God wants full custody, not weekend visitation. It cannot be partial. Also, we cannot have false steps. Look at what he says in verse two. 
Be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. You're asking me right now, okay, what, what do you mean by false steps? Where, where are you going with this? Because this is talking about Jesus dying on a cross and laying down his life. Yeah, it is. Why? Because of love. Are your steps guarded and guided by a self-sacrificial kind of love? I would actually go on to say that there's not true love unless it's self-sacrificing. Period. This is why we don't stand for abusive relationships in the church of Jesus Christ. This is why, we, this is why we, we look to one another in love. This is why marriage works best when the husband and the wife mutually love one another and are willing to sacrifice things about themselves for one another. It is walking in love together. And he says here in this passage of scripture that you and I are to do what? Walk in love. Walk in love. You know how hard that is? To walk, see, we want to walk this way. This is my way. I like walking my way. My way's easy. If you don't like walking my way, just get out of the way and I'm okay, you know? Life would go a whole lot easier if everybody would just agree with me. That's what we say, right? But we're supposed to walk in love. That's a different way to walk. When everything on your Facebook and Twitter and Instachat and Snapgram and whatever else you're on, when everything in... In, 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 in the newspaper and when everything that's in the magazine articles that you read, when everything that's on the radio, when everything that's on the TV says, live for you. We get back to that point where we want people to fit in the box that we've created for them to fit in with no regard to how we are gotta fit into their box. But Paul says here, if you're gonna imitate God, you've gotta walk in love, which means that what you do has gotta match what you say about who you are. If we say that we're following God, if we're going beyond this flattering speech of, yes, I love God. How does your life look any different than the world around you? Does it look like a life that says, I'm going to lay it all down? I, I, one, one, of the, one of the missional words that's used uh, right now among church planners and missionaries is, is how you leverage your life. And, and what they mean by that is, how do you use everything that you have to bring someone else closer to Christ? What can you invest about yourself that says, you know what, this is not about me. This is about who God is and what God's called me to do and who God's called me to be. Most of us have leveraged our lives for finances, for health, for food, for possessions, for relationships with no regard to how God has invested in us the blood of Christ Jesus that we could raise up a generation beyond us for the glory of God in Christ Jesus because we've loved us and not others. And it's hard to love others when we don't share with others. And look around the room. I've asked y'all to do this uh, through the, 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 the email thing several weeks ago. But look around the room. How, how, many people, how many people in this room do you know beyond their name and maybe the street they live on and who their kids are? Kind of hard to love people when you can't really even come up with that kind of information, right? Hey, what, what drives you? 
What, what, makes you, what makes you a better man or a better woman? What struggles do you have? What, what hurts? I, I, look across, I look across a congregation like ours and I see such, such beautiful diversity. And, and I wanna see in our family the diversity continue to grow and continue to expand. But that comes as I give up some of what it makes, make, means for me to be a white guy from South Georgia. That, that I have to love beyond who I am to who God is and who Christ is in each of us. That, that's walking in love and it's not easy. And, and it's not supposed to be, which is why Paul tells us to imitate God. That, that's it. Imitate God. Imitate God. Because we cannot do life in Christ our way. We cannot live to the fullness of who he called us to be as his children on our terms. We can only do it through the pattern of love and sacrifice as we reach into the lives of one another, as we reach into the brokenness of our community, as we ask ourselves the operational question, how would this look in the eyes of God? And how can I, how can I show someone else the power of the cross through me? Imitate God. Now you can't do it by yourself. You, you need this group around you, but you need Christ. All of this comes as, as the blood of Christ, the fragrant and sacrificial offering given for us to cover our sins, to, to appease the wrath of God, to bring us into a position where God would look at us and say, because you know my son, I know you as my child. And it comes through faith. Have you trusted Christ? Where you sit right now, have you truly trusted Christ and identified yourself as a follower of him? Or you just got your Jesus shirt on so people will think that you're with the crowd, but you're not. See, a Jesus shirt makes you look good on the outside, but Jesus says, I, I see what's on the inside. God says, I look at the heart of man. Are, are, you, are you wearing the shirt or are you in the family? Maybe you're in the family, but man, family identity is a little struggle for you. Just imitate God. I imitate God. You know, Evan, I don't know what that means. Walk in love. Seek peace. Be forgiving. Imitate God. 